Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. returns for the New Orleans Pelicans and does it make a difference it did not as the Pellies drop yet another game as things have cooled off considerably down in the Big Easy for the state's new favorite team as they fall 111 to 102 to the Minnesota Timberwolves and that great cushion that this team had that they had built up earlier in the season. They're now only three games above 500. That's it. That's all they are. They're a barely above 500 ball club. Maybe they can start figuring things out. Maybe they can get that mojo back. Maybe they'll get Zion Williamson back. But a team that was at one time sitting atop the Western Conference is now barely above 500. That is what we call, wait for it, not optimal. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this chilly Thursday morning, January 26th. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute for work or school. Going to be here until 9 o'clock. Until they kick me off the air. Joined, of course, by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, as she wraps up her final week with us here on the show and with the game in her current role. We'll have some special send-off for her on Friday. Of course, her replacement, the man that's already pushed her aside a little bit and said, I got this. Like, you were doing it great, but I'm about to do it better. Our guy Dawson. Haven't figured out a nickname for Dawson yet. We're going to have to figure that out. Going to have to figure that out. Maybe that can be a poll question of the day, and we can let the people decide what your nickname should be, Dawson. How do you feel about that? Let the people embrace you and say, this is what we want to refer to you as moving forward. I think leaving things up to the people is dangerous. <laughs> I knew I hired you for a reason. <laughs> he's like, he's like no, 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 no. There'll be none of this. There'll be, there'll be none of this. Hannah has already came up with a recommendation for what your nickname should be. And actually, someone messaged me this in a DM. Creek. Because Dawson's Creek. Oh, look at it. Oh, he's not happy. he's not happy about it whatsoever. We did have a producer at one time, Dawson, that people actually called him by a completely different name, and that caught on, and it just was always kind of there. 
So, poor Lewis. <laughs> you remember what some people used to call Lewis, Hannah? They used to have a wholly, uh, just a completely different name. Had nothing to do with his name whatsoever because someone called him by a different name one time when they called. And then we talked about it on the air, and then the folks just latched onto it and just kept going with it. We'll figure it out. I don't know if I want to sign off on the creek. Seems a little too, you know, easy. I think we can do better. I think we can do better. What do we got in store for you today? Well, hopefully we'll be able to talk about some sports. Maybe, right? We're going to talk Raging Cajuns men's and women's basketball. They'll get back to action tonight. We'll help preview those games for you. We'll touch on that. We'll also, of course, touch on the latest news and notes involving the National Football League as we get ready for conference championship weekend. We'll talk Saints. We'll talk Pelicans. The NBA. And, of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotlines always open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And we're going to lead off today's show with the New Orleans Pelicans. They are right now the Pelicans. There's no better way to describe them. They're not playing good basketball. Fundamentally. The way they're setting up their offense especially in last night's game, was immensely clunky. They're not playing with rhythm right now. It looks disjointed watching them play. It just does. And the team that looked very smooth early on when C.J. McCollum was playing at an all-star level and Zion appeared to be ascending to another level, to be playing basketball at a grown man's level. Uh, We're not seeing that right now. Yes, they're banged up. Yes, they don't have Zion Williamson. But last night they had two of the other starters they'd been missing for long stretches. It was B.I.'s first game back in, what, 29 games? Do you believe? And he looked like a guy that had missed a couple of months. He ended up with 13 points, five assists, five rebounds. But he was 0 for 6 from 3. Four of 18 from the field, had four turnovers. B.I. looked like exactly what you thought he would look like his first game back. Rusty. Not in a rhythm. And then you look at the rest of the team. Valachunas got into foul trouble early. He was able to overcome that. He gave him 15 and 12. Once again, he's your double-double machine. C.J. McCollum, 9 of 17 from the field, 5 of 9 from three-point range. 25 points he led the Pelicans. He tried to carry them, which he's been doing with B.I., Herb Jones, and Zion out. Right, C.J.'s put it on his shoulders. But Trey Murphy III is a perplexing guy to me. He's a three-point shooter. But he does he ever take over a game with his three-point shot? 
or does he feel like just a guy? As it stands right now in the development of his career, he feels just kind of like a guy. Almost like a guy that maybe doesn't need to be a starter. He doesn't hit enough three-pointers to really impact the game. He just doesn't. And maybe it's this weird part of them trying to figure out the offense, but Trey contributes, but he never takes over a game where you go, oh, man, Trey is just killing it. He's not a splash brother. He's not Reggie Miller. He's just not. He only gives you six points last night. Your best three-point shooter only gives you six points? That's no good. That's no good. And the longer the season goes along, and to be fair, this is Trey's second season, the more it feels like he really isn't an NBA starter. He feels more like a guy coming in with the second team to me. I could be wrong. Right? And maybe he plays better when Zion on the court. Could be. Maybe because the def- de- uh, the defenders aren't trailing off of him and, you know, paying their attention to Valachunas or Zion, he's not getting as many open looks. That's probably part of it as well, sure. I won't deny that. But you already have another guy in the lineup that really doesn't give you anything offensively, and that's Herb Jones. Herb's in the lineup because he's a lockdown defender. He may be your best defensive player that you have. So you're already taking a hit with your lineup because Herb's in there, but Herb's in there because he can do the dirty work and he's a great defensive player. Okay. Then Trey Murphy the has got to step up and be more of a force in the offense. A guy that's supposed to be your best three-point shooter only giving you six points, that's not getting the job done. And then the bench, the, the bench, Najee Marshall, five, played 27 minutes, man. Larry Nance Jr., guy of them seven, 22 minutes. Devontae Graham had a good shooting night for a change. Had 12 points, four, four from three-point range. He gave them a boost. But if you're depending on Devontae Graham to come off the bench to be your three-point specialist. You're not as deep as you made us all believe you were. Plain and simple. Uh, we've, we've had open conversations on this show, and people have had conversations about this on social media, and reporters have talked about this, where should Devontae Graham even be getting minutes? <laughs> minutes, Period. But Willie loves him. That's Willie's guy. He loves Devontae Graham. And he was four for four from three-point range. There's just something off about the team. And it's a long season in the NBA. And a lot can happen. And you have the ebbs and flows, the peaks and valleys, if you will. I get it. 
and they're still going to get Zion back probably after the All-Star break. And you'll take time for B.I. to get right with this team. But they had the great start, and then it's all kind of just went away. This team looks disjointed right now to me. They do. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They've lost six in a row. They've lost six in a row. The Sacramento Kings are a better team than them. Sacktown. The Sacramento Kings are better than them. And even though New Orleans may have been the best team briefly, twice, early in the season atop the Western Conference standings, Nuggets and Grizzlies look to be the two best teams in the West to me. They just do. Then Sacramento's there. New Orleans is still in fourth, believe it or not, because everyone else is kind of on the struggle bus and playing mediocre basketball around them. The Clippers, the Mavericks. Mavericks are three and seven in their last ten. Phoenix is five and five. Minnesota, Golden State starting to heat up a little bit. So, still a long season. Still plenty of time. But there are things I really don't like about this team right now. Will it be resolved in two weeks once B.I. gets six, seven games under his belt? Probably. Can they figure things out? Maybe. But then they're going to have to do it again when Zion comes back. Where are they going to be at in the standings? The goal... The expectations this year, because the roster was supposed to be allegedly healthy, was that this was going to be a top four team. Right now, they're technically still the four seed. But does the team, this Pelicans team in particular, do they need to be a top four seed to have a chance to advance in the playoffs? Because what happens, because obviously it's a logjam, there's not that much difference. There's what, three games difference? between the three seed all the way down to the 10 seed. They mess around too much, they can find themselves in a play-in tournament. Uh, Not what you want. It's not what you want. That's not what the expectation is. And I know, Pelicans fans, you've conditioned yourself to be accustomed to the team never meeting expectations. (laughs) And the expectations being low over and over again, but eventually you have to expect this team to be good or very good. And if they don't, you got to stop making excuses. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll hear from Coach Willie Green and some of the Pelicans players about what went wrong in last night's loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, 111-102. to That's coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh. 
Yeah, it's a long season, man. Um, we talked about this when we won, you know, six, seven games in a row, and everybody was praising us like we're the best thing since, you know, basketball was invented. And then we lose a few games, and it's the end of the world, and it's we need changes, and, you know, fans are, you know, victims of the moment far too often. I think it's understanding of progress and process, right? Like, we've been very injured, and it's not to make excuses. It's just the reality of a long season. A lot of teams have gone through injuries, and you see the difference in records and the difference in how a season can swing. And I think now we're heading in the right direction, getting guys healthy. Obviously, Dyson's out now. Um, Z's still out, but uh, Najee coming back, B.I. coming back, and at some point, Z comes back, and I think changes the way our team looks. And I think for us, it's about, you know, holding steady, building on our principles, you know, having discipline, Focusing on defense, focusing on making the right plays, stack up good games. I don't, I don't mind losing the way we lost to the Denver Nuggets, right? Like, I hate losing, but if we're going to lose, that's a game we competed in. We held them under 100 points, best offense in the NBA, had a chance to win it down the stretch, right? Uh, I, I think if we play like that consistently, we'll get out of this, you know, five or six, whatever it is, game losing streak, and then we'll build towards health in the playoffs. I think that's what matters, right? Get a home seat, get into the playoffs healthy. If we can do those things, then no one will, no one will really care about, you know, what happened in, in January. C.J. McCollum talking to the media following last night's loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And look, he makes some good points there, right? It's January. It's a long season. And they've had to be without, and they got – Marshall and B.I. both back last night. They got Herb Jones back last week. They're expecting to get Zion back after the break. That's all true. But you got to figure out how to win without your guys. And they have depth. They do. But my biggest question mark about this team was how they were all going to play together. Not the health. My big question mark before the start of the season was, how are the Pelicans going to figure out how to play together? Because last year, they figured it out because C.J. McCollum proved to be a catalyst for everything. His arrival and how they shook up the roster made all the difference in the world. Willie Gree found the guy that he trusted and the team turned a massive corner with C.J. as the starter. And look, they had to put C.J. in a spot that he wasn't accustomed to because he wasn't the point guard in Portland. That was Dollar Dame. But it worked. And my big question mark was, okay, you found something as a team. You got into the playing tournament. You won the playing tournament. You made it to the postseason. Now, how are you going to incorporate the big fella into all of this? That was my big question mark. Because obviously you found something with McCollum, working with Trey Murphy, working with Herb Jones. Valachunas has been very consistent and good for this team. Brandon Ingram played well last year. You figured it out with that group. But you got to figure it out once they all get healthy and all play together. It's all about reps. It's all about reps. You can put talented people. I don't care what you are, it, it, whether it's in basketball. It could be here at an office. It could be at your job. Okay, You can put a lot of talented people together. They don't always work well together. And it has nothing to do with ego. It has nothing to do with, oh, they don't get along. 
Sometimes people don't work well together. Can the Pelicans, once the big fella, Zion comes back, or as CJ calls him, Z, comes back, how long is it going to take them to figure that out? They've only played, what, nine or ten games together as a starting five? That's it. That's Trey, Herb, CJ, B.I., and Zion. That's it. That's not enough. You got to have to, you have to have that experience. You have to have that brotherhood with each other. You have to get enough reps in where you trust the guy without even thinking. Where it goes, Trey's open in the corner. Done. I'm throwing it to him. He's going to drain the three. Ball game. Oh, Zion, pick and roll. Done. Like it has to be that natural. It has to be become secondhand nature. That only comes with reps. And it only comes really with in-game reps. So that's my big concern about the Pelicans. B.I. will get better. Herb will get better. They need something from Trey Murphy, though. They have some guys that really need to start stepping up more on a consistent basis. But how are they going to figure out whenever Zion returns? He's not coming back more than likely before the All-Star break. That will be Willie Green's main challenge, figuring out how to incorporate all those guys and how it's going to work. Because if they don't figure it out, it's going to be an early playoff exit. Teams that don't know how to play with each other are still trying to figure things out, don't make playoff runs. They don't. They get eliminated early. Another tough loss for the team. And Willie Green just, yeah, he didn't miss any words afterwards. He told it like it was. His team got absolutely punched in the mouth. I feel like they just punched us in the mouth in the third quarter. And when we got hit, we, we said, okay, fourth quarter now we want to, we, we, we're deciding that we want to play. We can't do that. NBA is it's too hard to win in this league to allow a team to score 39 points. Um, so, even if we're getting the looks that we want, we got to execute them. It goes back to the Nuggets game. What did Denver do? Punched them in the mouth. And then New Orleans decided to wake up late in that game. Yeah, you got to do it sooner. Willie knows that. You hear it in his voice. Uh, we got to do it sooner. For whatever reason, his team waits too long for a sense of urgency. Got to be a little bit more urgent. Got to be able to turn on that switch sooner in ball games, especially against fellow playoff teams. Great competition. You got to be able to figure that out. And the other thing that this team lacks that we've seen in the last month has been a lack of consistency, and Willie followed up on that as well after last night's loss to the Timberwolves. We got to be consistent, and right now we're not. And it's the common theme with our group over the last, you know, four or five games or so is that it's always one quarter where it just gets away. And it's something I got to figure out and something our team has to figure out. Um, and we will, but right now we're just going through it and we, we, we have to pick up our juice and, and be consistent doing it. Got to be consistent doing it. Look, it's a long season. It's not time to hit the panic button, but there's little things that this team does as someone who's watched the NBA's entire life 
that gives me a little pause to go, I pause just a little bit and wonder openly, can they fix these little things? Because they have the talent, they have the potential to be a top four seed in the Western Conference playoffs and to make a deep playoff run. But there's little things that they got to do. We got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll keep the hardwood discussion going as we'll look ahead for the Raging Cajuns women's and men's basketball teams, their games tonight. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball teams riding a six-game winning streak. And they'll be back at home after a four-game road trip inside the Cajun Dome tonight as they're going to be taking on the Troy Trojans. And Troy is one of those teams, just like Georgia Southern is, who the Cajuns face off on Saturday. Teams that are kind of right behind them in the standings. We had Bob Marlin on with us earlier in the week, and he talked about that. talked about... The fact that, you know, these are two teams that are kind of nipping on their heels. Yes, the Cajuns are tied for atop the Sunbelt standings currently. It's a great place to be. But Troy, Georgia Southern, and others are right behind them. So this is going to be a big game for Bob Marlin's team. They're going to be tested in both of these games at home. That said... You like their chances. It feels like this team has really started to kind of turn a corner, if you will, after beginning Sunbelt Conference play with back-to-back losses at Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion. They've kind of found their way again and figuring out how to incorporate Kobe Julian into the lineup. Jordan Brown's playing at a great level. Joe Charles has become one of their best defensive players. And other guys are stepping up, and it's becoming a total team effort for the preseason Sunbelt number one team. This is the team that everyone expects to win the championship. But you can't feel too good about yourself. There's always work to be done, and Bob Marlin knows that his team has to continue to keep their head down and keep working day in, day out, week after week. Just keep working, keep our head down and keep working. You know, you still Alfred and Sean all the time. It's all about the work. And if we continue to prepare like we have and, and be like professionals, this group has been locked in. They have tremendous camaraderie. 
but we we just have to continue to be professional about it and realize that we just don't show up and, and win. The team that plays the best is going to win. And we have not played our best in a, in a couple of weeks, and we're looking forward to getting back to playing really good basketball. You usually see teams play their best at home, right? You always get a lift at home. And I thought the Cajuns played hard, and I thought they played well on their road trip. They went undefeated on it. But I would expect them to maybe execute a little bit better offensively tonight against Troy and then Saturday night against Georgia Southern. And a big reason because of the play of Greg Williams. And this is a guy who is a total team first type of player. He's the type of guy that Bob Marlin loves to have on his roster. Because he's the guy that always is going to put in the work. And that's why, Greg, you've seen his overall game as a college basketball player go up a level from last year because he obviously put in the work the offseason. And he's still putting in the work. And Marlon talked about how Greg has stepped up and met expectations. Yeah, absolutely. He's playing like an all-conference player. It's what we told him at the beginning of the year. You know, you can have a season like Frank Bartley had as a senior. You know, Frank wound up being Louisiana Player of the Year, first team all league. And, and Greg is so unselfish that he hurts himself at times just by being a, a total team guy. And we encourage him to shoot more, and he's been doing that lately. But he and Jordan have really carried the load for us, and then along with Jalen Dalcourt. But he's doing exactly what I thought he could do uh, and what we, we recruited him to do, just like we talked about Joe last week, all these guys. We do a really good job evaluating our, our players. Greg has been huge for them. Uh, you knew what Jordan was going to do, right? He was the preseason player of the year. But they were going to need somebody else to be the number two. And last year, they didn't have that. It was Jordan and a bunch of guys who really were like number three options or played like they were number three options, including Kobe. But Kobe also was injured, like he's been his entire Raging Cajun career. They needed someone to say, you know what? We're going to be the second option. I'm going to be that guy. And because of Greg Williams' development, that's allowed Jordan Brown not to be doubled as much. Plus, he gives the Cajuns confidence when he does get doubled. I remember at the McNeese game, just springs to mind. McNeese said, okay, we're going to try to take Jordan out of the game. We're going to make it difficult. Well, that freed up everyone else. Last year, when you did that, you necessarily couldn't consistently count on anyone else stepping up. It was streaky, right? This year, you can count on Greg Williams making a shot. You can count on other guys to make shots. They missed that last year. They have it this year. That's been a big difference for this team, just in my humble opinion. Now, they got two tough games this week. Two winning programs right behind them in the standings. And once again, I've said it all season long, the Raging Cajuns are going to get everyone's best effort because they are the standard. They're the preseason favorite to win the league. They have the preseason player of the year. Everyone's going to look to them. It's a always going to be a measuring stick game for everyone else when they play Bob Marlin's team. So 
it's not going to be a there's not going to be a scenario where you're going to go out there and just roll the ball out into the court and just roll to a victory because you're going to get everyone's best effort. And then start tonight with Troy and then again Saturday against Georgia Southern and Bob Marlin talked about this week's opponents. Troy has a good ball club. Uh, Scott Cross is an excellent coach. Remember, we beat him in the semifinals of the conference tournament. Uh, they're a little bit different. Last year, they had maybe 14 or 15 guys he played every night. And this year, they've cut the rotation down to about eight players. And they've had, had good success. They're tough. Uh, when they shoot the ball well, they're really good because they're always good defensively. And I could see a game uh, similar to the one we just played maybe a little bit more high scoring, but a tough grinded out type game uh, against Troy. A lot of respect for them. And then on Saturday, we have Georgia Southern and Brian Berg has done a tremendous job there. Uh, They're off to a quick start and they'll be tough defensively. Uh, They've got better guard play than they had a year ago. So we'll we'll look forward to entertaining them on Saturday night at the Cajun Dome. I want to encourage all our fans and students come out and watch this team. They're exciting. They've done a lot of good things. They've made history already, but we've got bigger things in front of us. They'll take on Troy tonight. 7 o'clock is tip. You can make sure to catch a uh, video recap as well as a story provided by yours truly. That's right. I'll be in the house at the Cajun Dome tonight for a little UL men's basketball action. The women, meanwhile, they had a rough go of it early in the season. No Brandy Williams, and they couldn't really find their identity, in particular scoring the basketball. But Coach Gary Broadhead's teams have always kind of been slow starters, and it's always been somewhat a work in progress when it comes to finding that scoring early. And But once they do, they become a tough team. That's why Gary's teams are always a tough out. The way he coaches, the way he develops, he prepares his young ladies for the postseason. That's why they always play their best basketball at the end of the year and in the conference tournament. Because that's how he coaches. That's his method. And it sure does feel like the women have begun to turn a corner. They're now two games above 500 overall, above 500 in conference play. And this is a team that has won four of its last five games, including winning back-to-back games this last week at the Cajun Dome, including wins over Old Dominion, and then an impressive overtime gut-check win over Arkansas State. And Gary Broadhead shared his thoughts about being able to get those home victories. I don't know, man. Y'all can tell me what we need to do, but I don't know. It's kind of a... uh Two games were kind of different. I thought we played really well against uh, Old Dominion and shot the ball well and all that. And then you play against Arkansas State and just you knew they could score. Then they were going to play some junk defense and it worked for them. You know, I thought they they did a good job of, of uh, defending us and but able to come out with a win. You know, just got to take it, just kind of move from there. But uh, you know, with Lene being out, I think it kind of hurt us. Uh, and we just need her back. I think she's going to be back uh, this week. So, you know, just uh, roll, get on the road and see if we can get a couple of wins. Lene Whedon has stepped up into that role and has become their best scorer. She's banged up, though. And if they want to go on the road and beat Georgia Southern tonight at Hanner Fieldhouse in Statesboro and then 
travel over to Boone, North Carolina to take on App State on Saturday. They're going to need the Lene, and they're going to need Lene to play well. And the other thing that has frustrated Gary so far this season, and it always frustrates him, just not for the 2022-23 season. It frustrates him ever since he was back in the day as a high school coach or as an assistant coach at McNeese, is turnovers. The man hates turnovers. He hates what he calls silly turnovers, and he says his team has committed far too many of them of late. You know what? I think we fixed the problem with uh, our offense by doing the two guards to do, uh, playing separately in uh, Porter and uh, and D Rice. I think that helped the offense, but maybe it's something that was like you're making me think about it now. That man, our, our turnovers have been high, you know. And it's not so much that we're being pressed. It's like some walking. Uh, Try, you know, just those kind of things are most of the turnovers. Not live ball turnovers. That's probably why we're staying in the game. Those live ball turnovers are the ones that really, really hurt you. But we're not getting those kind. It's just, yeah. I mean, something. And I always kind of worry about that. Do we work on enough of fundamentals as we go into the season? And that's probably one of the things that we need to look at. Like on the Mondays when we're not really preparing for anybody, we're just kind of going. We're working on ourselves. I think that's some of the things that we have to do. I mean, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about it, but our turnovers have been really, really high. Why? I mean, looking at film, you just and, – and, and a lot of them just walks or, uh, yeah, just, just kind of silly turnovers. Hopefully they won't have those silly turnovers tonight when they travel to Statesboro to take on Georgia Southern, then App State on Saturday for Gary Broadhead's team, who has won four or five and looks like they're starting to really turn a corner. The men, of course, will be at home tonight against Troy, tip at 7. You can read all about it at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and then there'll be a video recap on social media afterwards. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one and unveil the poll question of the day. That's all coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. Be in. Call me old-fashioned. That's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Who will Aaron Rodgers play for next year? It's an interesting question. Unlike Tom Brady, who you always feel like can't wait to get back out there and play football. And Brady is determined and driven and one of the more driven personalities we've ever seen in the world of sports. Aaron Rodgers doesn't give off that vibe. He's far more aloof. He has other interests other than football. 
Jeopardy hosting, other things, right? So his question is, his future is in question. And it's become a bit of a conversation piece during the playoffs is where is Aaron Rodgers going to play next season? Because it feels like his time has come to an end in Green Bay. Others say his time has may have come to an end, period. Like, would you be surprised if Aaron Rodgers retired? I wouldn't. He's just got he's he's different. Him and Tom Brady are completely different that way. Like if Brady still has 25% of ability left and he has a chance to go try to win another championship, he's going to do that. I don't believe Aaron's built that way. I just don't. But he will have options. And DraftKings has already thrown some numbers out there. The, The betting line favorite is obviously him coming back to the Packers. But the Raiders are a a big line, betting line favorite to get Aaron Rodgers. He can reteam with Devontae Adams. The New York Jets are also an intriguing option, even though he'd be going to play for another franchise that Brett Favre played for. So I don't know how well he would feel about that. But to be fair, it's not like Favre did anything for the Jets that one glorious season that forced a Madden Madden cover to be redone. Besides, you know, sending inappropriate pictures to a female staffer. That was the big highlight for number four that year. But where will Aaron Rodgers play next year? Right now, 34% of you say Packers, 32% say Jets, 16% say Raiders, and 18% of you say others. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. We'll share them throughout today's show. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Brandon Ingram, Najee Marshall return to the lineup for the Saints. Not the Saints, the Pelicans. I was thinking about another team that's underperforming. Sorry. For the Pelicans. <laughs> Thank goodness the Breakers season's going to come. That's right, a little USFL for there for you. B.I. Najee back. But it didn't matter. The Pelicans... Still fall short, losing 111-102 to to Minnesota. And they lose another game at home. This team that at one time was atop the Western Conference standings looked like a lock for a top four seed in the Western Conference playoffs is now only three games above 500. It's a long season. It's a long season for the Pelicans. They're getting B.I. back. It's going to take a while for him to get back to form. He looked like a guy who had missed a couple of months. Get him back up and running. Herb Jones has only been back for a couple games. 
It's going to take a little while. And then hopefully, hopefully is the key word, you get Zion Williamson back after the All-Star break. So still plenty of time to get things right. But this team over the last month has looked a little clunky. Their offensive sets don't look clean. They struggle with execution. Struggle with some communication as well. So getting some of these guys back and kind of building up that chemistry again will be significant if this team wants to remain a contender. Right now, even with all their woes that they've suffered, they're still the number four seed if the playoffs began today. So even with a bad month of playing basketball, they built up such a good cushion that they still remain one of the top four teams in the Western Conference. But for the Pelicans, there's only three games that separate the number three team in the standings all the way down to number 10. So if you mess around and you can't get this on track and you can't you know, figure it out and get through this lull that you're experiencing, you're going to mess around and be a playing tournament team yet again. Yet again. And that would fall well below the expectations that everyone had for this team for the 2022-2023 season. Just would. Poll question of the day. It's not about the NBA. Even though we could spend more time talking about the association, Warriors had a great win last night over the Grizzlies, 122-120. to 120. Golden State's going to figure it out. Everyone that was writing them off and said they were done because of the slow starts of the season, last time I checked, they still are coached by Steve Kerr. They still have... Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Jordan Poole. So, yeah. They'll figure it out. And it seems like they've started to. We could talk more about the association, but our poll question is all about Aaron Rodgers. Kevin Foote's favorite player of all time. That's dripping sarcasm, by the way. Where will Aaron end up? next season we're to the point of his career where every offseason is going to be like this what's going to happen to him where is he going to go but he and Tom Brady are built differently Brady is determined to continue playing until he's 50 years old he's driven by winning more championships always that's what he's built for that's what he sacrificed his marriage to a wealthy supermodel for because he wanted to win I would have probably stayed at home with the supermodel after having the most Super Bowl victories of all time and just you know live off the money I've made the hundred million dollar plus television contract that's waiting for me oh and by by the way my wife would be worth more than I have ever made in my entire life but Tom was like, nah, I got to go out there and compete. Okay. Aaron Rodgers, is he built that way? Is he built like Tom? I don't think he is. He's far more aloof and arrogant. He likes spending his time trolling people, spending time hosting Jeopardy, 
figuring out which family member to feud with. You know, he's got a lot of other stuff going on that seems to be more interesting to him than playing football and routinely, let's be honest, kind of throwing his team under the bus. So is he going to come back? Is he going to come back and play in Green Bay? That's the betting line favorite is that he will come back and play for the Packers, but good bet lines for him to go play for the Raiders and reteam up with Devontae Adams there in Las Vegas or to go to the Jets. The Jets seem like they got a lot of pieces and have a defense ready to go. They just need competent quarterback play, which they didn't get this year and haven't gotten since, I guess, Mark Sanchez was there. I'd probably go further back to Chad Pennington. But they're in the mix from the Vegas odds makers. Or is it other? Could he end up somewhere else? Or maybe just other could also include retirement. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Jamie to the show. He wants to talk about the poll question of the day. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. How you doing on this really pretty what day is this? Thursday morning. It's as an educator, a molder of young minds, I would hope you know what day of the week it is. I haven't had my coffee yet. <laughs> it's Thursday, Jamie. It's Thursday. <laughs> I got I got three things real quick and I'll be very, very succinct and concise. You like those $5 words? Oh, someone's showing off his education at Northwestern State University. That's right. Forkham Daniels. All right. So I got three things. Number one is, uh, as a lifelong Pels fan, I'm abhorred. Hey, there's another $5 word. I'm abhorred at how some of these fans are acting like the sky is falling. It's a long season. We, we, we can make a comeback. We just got to get the pieces healthy and get them going. Um, second thing i Old question of the day. So I could see Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets because he's so arrogant he would want to go where Brett Favre went and actually do something that Brett Favre didn't, which is win with the Jets. I could see him doing that, but uh, the Colts are more likely because they have a history of taking washed-up quarterbacks and, you know, pushing them into the sunset. And then uh, finally, (laughs) we used to have – oh, go ahead. No, I'm just – that's a funny joke. See, see Philip Rivers, see Carson Wentz, see Matt Ryan. Not right, great. exactly. <laughs> Not a great shreds. <laughs> Finally, my, my third thing is this, and I'll let you go. We used to have uh, MC Louis P, right? We did have MC Louis P. That's right. So what about? Uh, he's never going to let me back on the show. What about MC Dossie E? <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Say that again, Jamie. What what do you believe Dawson Iserlo's nickname should be? Our new producer here at RP3 and Company. What what are you saying it again? MC Dossie E. MC Dossie E. Jamie, thank you for your phone call. I'm gonna let Dawson respond to your recommendation on the air. Thank you, bud. I told you what happens when we let people decide things. <laughs> Salty Steve it messaged me. He said new producer's handle should be Daw Dollar. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Yeah. 
right now, right now, in this moment, 712 on this glorious, chilly Thursday morning, January 26th, is there any amount of regret starting to seep in about you accepting this job? You can be honest. No. Okay. But we don't have to let the people decide things. We can make, like, internal decisions and just let them know the final answer. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Poll question of the day. Who will Aaron Rodgers play for next year? 34% of you believe he will return to Green Bay and play for the Packers. 30% of you say the Jets, which is intriguing. And unlike New England, the Jets would be willing to give up on their young quarterback. I think the move to bring back Bill O'Brien is a way of New England saying that they're going to try to salvage Mac Jones. Plus, he's on a rookie contract. That's what I think happens there. I think Miami sticks with Tua as well. That's been another team mentioned about with Aaron Rodgers. I think both of those teams are committed to their quarterbacks and bringing them back. But the Jets, man, they're looking for an upgrade. 14% of you say the Raiders and 22% say other. Let's get to some of your comments. JPK, the OD, says, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Wherever it is will be an epic failure. Hope it's the Raiders. And he shared a gif from this Spinal Tap. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever. Ralph on Twitter says he'll stay on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field with brats and cheese curds galore. Meanwhile, Jordan Love is like, you need to go home. Ton on Twitter says he's not going anywhere. He'll retire before he leaves Green Bay. Dude's a wash anyway. Time for him and Brady both to retire. John Paul Cajun Daddy says he is done, needs to just retire. And Derek B says he will retire. I would not be surprised at all. If Rodgers decides just to retire, it, it just, he, I don't think he's built like a guy that needs to ride off on the sunset with a Super Bowl victory. I mean, he's won multiple MVPs. He's won a Super Bowl. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. I, you know, I don't think he cares. Like, really, I don't. I, I think, let me rephrase that. I believe Rodgers cares. I believe Rodgers wants to win. I don't believe Rodgers is the type of guy that's going to hang on in a desperate fashion just to try to win another title. Like, I think Rodgers would rather just leave when he's still healthy and go, okay, I'm done. It was a great run. I'm done. Salty Steve says Rodgers is going to go into play for the New Orleans Breakers. He will win a USFL championship, then go to Canada to play for the Toronto Argonauts to win a Grey Cup. After that, he will retire to become the first player to win all three titles. I love where Salty Steve's head at is this morning. I'm here for it. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll continue to share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout when we return. We'll stick with the NFL conversation. We'll also take your phone calls. Game hotlines open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. As we gear up for conference championship weekend with the Bengals and Chiefs battling out in the AFC title game, while the 49ers and Eagles meet up in the NFC title game, we have the finalists revealed for the NFL awards. And some interesting names have been thrown out there as finalists for some of the biggest rewards, or awards rather, in the NFL. As expected, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow are finalists for the MVP award. It's a quarterback-driven league. It's a quarterback-driven award. But one guy that's a finalist is not a quarterback. Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Justin Jefferson is a finalist for the NFL MVP. And rightfully so. He has accomplished everything that he's accomplished for the Minnesota Vikings this year and every year while Kirk Cousins is his quarterback. Can you imagine what type of numbers Justin Jefferson would put up if he had his college quarterback, Joe Burrow, throwing him the football? Or Josh Allen? Or Mahomes? Or Jalen Hurts? You could argue that Jefferson may be the best wide receiver in football. I think it's a conversation that's had between him, Jamar Chase, and Stephon Diggs. That's where we stand right now. Used to be Michael Thomas in that conversation, but Cat hasn't played in three years, so uh, availability matters. And of those guys... Stephon Diggs left Kirk Cousins to go play with Josh Allen. Jamar Chase has never had to cut, catch a touchdown pass from anyone else not named Joe Burrow. Not in college, not in the pros. Justin Jefferson's had to catch footballs from Kirk Cousins, who throws checkdowns on fourth and eight. That alone should allow him to be a finalist for the MVP. <laughs> Just... I'm just that alone. But I love the fact that he's going to be recognized at least as a finalist. He's not going to win it. I thought it was going to be Mahomes to lose. And I still think probably Mahomes wins the MVP award. But I wonder if Burrow can be second. It's going to be interesting to see how that vote turns out. But once again... Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen are your finalists for the NFL MVP. And Jefferson did lead the NFL with 128 catches for 1,809 receiving yards in his third season with the Vikings. He was one of two unanimous choices for the Associated Press's All-Pro 
team along with Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. Offensive player of the year, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, and guess who? Justin Jefferson. Could Jefferson win that award like Michael Thomas did at the wide receiver spot? Like Drew Brees has done before? Maybe. We've had the Offensive Player of the Year be awarded to someone who doesn't win the MVP. Thomas did it. Brees did it. Those are the two that really spring to mind. But I think you're going to see some votes get spread out around here. I think Mahomes is going to get a lot of votes for MVP. Hertz is going to get some votes. Joe Burrow gets get some votes. The other award finalists for the top honors in the National Football League, Defensive Player of the Year, 49ers Nick Bosa, Kansas City Chiefs Chris Jones, and Dallas Cowboys Micah Parsons. Comeback Player of the Year is interesting. Saquon Barkley came off the injury, had a great year for the Giants, led him to the playoffs. Christian McCaffrey banged up, gets traded, goes to 49ers, helps them get to the NFC Championship game. But Geno Smith, man, a guy that looked like his career was done and he was now in the land of backups to be a pro bowler and help lead the Seahawks to the playoffs. I know Saquon came off the injury, but man, I think I would vote for Geno for comeback player of the year. Coach of the year, Brian Doble for the Giants, Doug Peterson for the Jaguars, Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers. I don't think you could go wrong with any three of those guys. The turnarounds that the Giants and the Jaguars had in year number one under those coaches, immensely impressive. But got to give credit to Kyle Shanahan to have to go to his third-string quarterback to be able to keep it moving. That's great coaching there. Offensive Rookie of the Year, kind of a surprise. No Chris Olave. He didn't make the list. The New Orleans Saints wide receiver rookie out of Ohio State. But... Garrett Wilson, his old teammate in college, did for the Jets. Kenneth Walker, 1,000-yard rusher for Seattle out of Michigan State. And Brock Purdy, which I was surprised by. Eh, guy only played, guy's only played in like, what, six or seven games? And he's on the list for Offensive Rookie of the Year? I think maybe Brock Purdy took Chris Olave's spot. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Sauce Gardner for the Jets. Adam Hutchinson for the Lions. Tariq Woolen for the Seahawks. That's more than likely going to be Hutchinson's, even though Sauce Gardner proved that he was a lockdown corner as a rookie. And then assistant coach of the year, Ben Johnson of the Lions, who's also been a candidate for some of the head coaching vacancies. D'Amico Ryans, another candidate for head coaching vacancies, 49ers defensive coordinator. And uh, Shane Station, the Eagles offensive coordinator. Those are your NFL finalists. Award finalists. So, be interesting to see how all things come out. The winners will be announced at the NFL Honors Ceremony on February 9th. And a nationwide panel of 50 media members who regularly cover the league completed voting before the start of the playoffs. So, the playoffs and what happens in the playoffs will not matter in the voting of this award. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, David, to the show. David, I got about a minute to spare, but it's yours, brother. What's on your mind? Hey, I just uh, – <clears throat> I wanted to say how much of a joke these awards are. 
when someone like Brock Purdy gets in over Chris Olave, oh, yeah. that's an it's an absolute travesty. Like that just shows how much of a joke this is. How could someone that only played six games get in over over Chris Olave? Who's like he's not setting records, but you could tell that, you know, he deserved to be in. It's it, it's a it's just a joke, dude. Like that's why, like, this is why uh, NFL MVP awards only go to quarterbacks. This is like, you know, correct a, a, a clear example of it. Correct, which it, which was surprising that they actually had Jefferson as a finalist. I was surprised by that. Man. I was surprised well, I mean, by that. He's not going to win it. Oh no, he no, might, no, no. I, th- I think he has a good chance of winning Offensive Player of the Year. I think he has a good chance to win that. Uh, but no, he's not going to win MVP because that's right. It's a quarterback league, and look, if Brock Purdy was not a quarterback. He wouldn't be on that list, would he? Just wouldn't be. It's I don't know. It's not like he's playing on a all caliber team, you know, or anything like that. It's not like he's throwing a George Kittle or Chris, you know, Chris McCaffrey or <laughs> Evo Samuel or anything like that. No, he's not. So no, like, that's it's right. Just, it's it's a complete joke. I, I don't know. I appreciate. I, I, I understand, brother. I understand, I brother. It. I appreciate your phone call, though. Have a great day, David. David fired up. I get it. Yeah, Brock Purdy on that list. Really? Really? And as much as I'm happy for Justin Jefferson being on the list because I'm a big fan of Jefferson, okay? I love what he brings to the table. He's not going to win MVP. He's just not. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, our first guest will join us. He was the longtime Raging Cajun sports information director, became an award-winning reporter for the Daily Advertiser and others, now he's, he is the play-by-play man for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics. The Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Dan McDonald, will join us next to talk all things Raging Cajuns. That's coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Things are looking quite rosy for all things Raging Cajuns these days. Women's basketball team appears to have turned a corner, winning three of their last four games. They're above 500 now overall and in conference play. And they're starting to find someone to kind of carry the load as a scorer with Lene Wheaton. The men's basketball team, after beginning conference play with two losses on the road at Coastal Carolina and then at Old Dominion, have won six straight, tied for a top the lead in the Sunbelt standings. Softball team nationally ranked, gearing up for their season to start. Baseball team, great expectations for Matt Deggs after coming off an NCAA regional appearance a year ago. To talk all things Vermilion and White with us is the man who was the longtime sports information director for the Raging Cajuns, an award-winning reporter for the Daily Advertiser and others. 
Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and the man now who is the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics. Dan McDonald joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, doing well, and you're exactly right. There there are an awful lot of things going on. It's always busy this time of year because you're st- starting to get into the crossover. You know, softball's already started practicing. Baseball's going to start later this week. Uh, it's, uh, you know, in basketball, you know, both teams playing pretty well right now, especially the men's team. I mean, I don't know if people realize some of the things they've already accomplished this year. Well, first uh, conference four-game winning streak since the late 70s. Is that correct? The first conference four-game sweep ever Ooh. as far as doing it wow. over two weekends. I mean, they've you, you, you think about that. They, they've won four games in a row on the road before, but they've never won four straight conference games. I mean, this includes Dutch Reinhardt's teams of the – 30s, 40s, and 50s, Beryl Shipley's great teams he had, all those NCAA teams, the NIT Final Four team, the team a couple of years ago that won 27 games, none of them ever won four straight conference games on the road. I mean, that's that, and that's hard to do. That may be the hardest. You know, I've heard coaches say the hardest thing to do in sports is win on the road, and I think college basketball may be the hardest of all of those. So, you know, that's pretty special, and now they've set themselves up. They play seven of their last ten at home, including the next four in a row, and they've already – you realize that they matched last year's win total on January 21st, last Saturday. They've already matched what they did all of last year. We know that Jordan Brown is special, preseason player of the year. But for me, when I watch this team and how they've kind of really came together this year, the big difference I'm seeing is the play of the other guys that are on the floor, in particular Greg Williams, who has really taken his game to a different level. Bob Marlin mentioned it reminded him of what Frank Bartley was able to do. How much more better of a player is Greg this year as he was, say, last season, Dan? Um, I think he is. He has found a way that he's always had, but he's found a way that when he, you know, is in a position to take over a game, he can do that. He can step up his game, and I'm not sure he was really either ready to do that or knew he could do that. But now I think he knows he can do that. Uh, you know, I mean, the couple of games they've had here during the streak. You know, he, he's just been you – know, not only is he hitting shots, but he's doing all the other things that you want, you know, that guy to do. He's among the team leaders in rebounding in conference play, uh, and he leads the team in steals in conference play. He's second in blocks in conference play, and this is a guard that's doing this. Uh, but, you know, he's he has really stepped up his game. But you mentioned Jordan Brown, and yeah, he's you know everybody knows what kind of player he is. He's one of I think five players in the country that's getting nineteen and seven with a couple assists and a block every game. But I think the key part of the key to this is that Jordan Brown's also second on the team in assists in conference play. He's been able. Everybody's double teaming. Everybody's mashing down on him. He's been able to find people. And sometimes it looks like, you know, he's getting double and triple teamed. And sometimes it looks like he's there too long. I think he just has enough confidence himself that he's waiting. He's waiting for that person to pop open, which they are. You know, when somebody, they 
back down on him, somebody's going to be open. He's been able to find them, and I think that's been a big key. He's been, you know, among the team leaders in assists for a while, and the ability to kick it out to find that open person, you know, that's going to benefit not just those other guys, but people are going to have to, like, think twice before they back all those people in to try to shut him down inside. The other thing that I've noticed about this team is that the chemistry is really good, and Bob has told us that, but you, we really do notice it. But it doesn't seem like anyone has any trepidation this season when their number is called, Dan. And I, there, were, there were moments last year where a guy would be put in position, whether it was Greg or others, and they just weren't ready to deliver in the big moment. They seem like they got four or five different guys that can do that on this team this year, and that seems to be a big difference, in, in my opinion. Well, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we were talking about Brown kicking it out to people. It really helps when you've got the nation's active leader in three-point percentage out there you can kick it to in Kentrell Garnett. It helps when you can kick it to a Themis Fulks. It's gonna, if he's not open, he's going to find open people. He's sixth in the country in assists. You've got Terrence Lewis, who is – I think he's 13th in the country in field goal shooting. And the two of those guys work real well down low. It, you know, it, when you have a team that's ranked in the top 10 and shoot, they're one of the 10 best shooting teams in the country. Uh, you know, when you have that, when you make shots and you have the uh, ability they do to play, you know, to play the all around game, you can be very, very good. You can do things like go 16 and four to, to start out your season. But, yeah, there's nobody on that floor when um, their normal rotation, and I talk about their normal rotation. I include Joe Charles in that. I include, uh, you know, two or three other guys coming off the bench. Uh, You know, I include all them in that group because they're all capable of doing damage on people. Jalen Dalcourt's had some great games this year, Uh, you know, there have been times that you know that Isaiah Richards has stepped out and done a lot of good things. Um, I, I keep waiting for Kobe Julian to really get back into the groove. When he does, that's just another weapon. They have a lot of weapons, and and they're fun to watch when all these things are clicking. Talking with Dan McDonald, Raging Cajuns, ESPN Plus play-by-play man. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's switch over to the women. After a sluggish start to the season, especially trying to find their identity offensively with Brandy Williams being out with another season with an injury, they finally seem like kind of found their way. Now, they're turning over the ball way too much, and Gary has mentioned that multiple times. But what's been the big difference for this team who's now above 500 both overall and in conference play? Well, they have a lot of players back. And and they mentioned that Destiny Rice was talking about that early in the week. We do had, did have a lot of players coming back, but they did not have that person inside that was that solid force uh, on the offensive and defensive end. They didn't have Ty Doucette. She was the one loss from last year, and I think they've had to learn how to play with really without a post presence. Now now there have been times that you know some of the other folks. Have you know have stepped up you know a few times here and there. There were a couple of times that uh, Mariah Stewart you know stepped in, had a big game for him inside, scored a lot of points, got a few rebounds. But mostly it's been guard oriented, and I think they've had to learn how to win 
at the guard spot. And I'm, and I mentioned Destiny Rice because I still think she's the key as, as the point guard, and she's a good one. Uh, and it's things you don't often see in the box score. But when you see, you mentioned Lynette Wheaton earlier, when you see her scoring a lot of those points, it's because that Destiny Rice has been able to set her up for a lot of those things. And even her assist holders are not that big because I think she she's sort of – it's more of a tempo thing than, than the actual assist pass. Gary Broadhead wants her sometimes to slow the game down. He wants her sometimes to speed the game up. She can do that. She's the one person on the floor of, of all ten, and I include the opponent's five. I think most of the time she's the one person on the floor – that can control the whole tempo of the game, and not just by scoring and not just by passing, just almost by demeanor. And and that's hard to describe, but it's almost like you have to watch her play to to see that. But I think a great example of that was Saturday's game against Arkansas State. They didn't have Lene Wheaton. She was out with a minor knee injury. They're hoping to have her back for these two games this weekend on the road. But when she was out, Basically, Destiny Rice limited the possessions in the game because they knew they didn't want to get into an up-and-down scoring game because without her, they didn't have the scoring punch. She was able to do that, and they won in overtime. Didn't play well, but they still won. Let's switch over to the diamond. Expectations are always high for the softball program, and it's always been that way uh, for 20-plus years, 30 years. What are the realistic expectations for Jerry Glasgow entering now? Uh, he's been here quite a while. They haven't been able to break through past the regional round. Is the expectation super regionals are better this year, or is it still just make it to a regional, Dan? Well, one, let me say, just in, in my opinion, expectations are always, you know, I think they're always a little too high because, yeah, this is a great softball program. It is a, a really great one. Uh, they still don't have the resources that a lot of these programs do. That's and, fair. I mean, that's obvious. They don't have the resources that you know a lot of the major conferences put into their programs. It used to be all even, and then you know leagues started realizing, hey, we can be pretty good in softball if we pump a lot of money in there. Uh, so. I think expectations sometimes are a little too much on this program, puts a little bit too much pressure on them. But that being said, you know, this year I think, you know, and I think uh, Jerry will say this, he may not say it in public, but I think he'll tell people in private, he feels so confident about this team being, you know, a, a super regional team, a team that can host a regional, a team that could get to the College World Series, uh, it's going to depend on if their pitching is as solid as hope because they're going to be very solid in the field. They're going to be able to hit. They've probably got the fastest team that Jerry Glasgow's ever had, and that's saying something. Uh, you know, they're, uh, I mean, you know, 47 13 last year. They went 23 and 4 in the conference. Uh, you know, they're, they have the potential to do, you know, will they have 47 wins this year? No, they won't, and I'll tell you why. That schedule is brutal. They they set up the schedule to host a regional because the way it, the power ratings go, it's more valuable to lose to a UCLA, to lose to a Florida State, than it is to beat a McNeese and beat a Southeastern. Uh, and I think that you know if they can just somehow break even in those quote power games, that the, the expectations of this team can be really high when it gets to postseason. And I do want to say one thing, and one thing I was excited about the program, uh, 
just because the just because of Lillian Soto signing to the recruit list for next year. Lillian Soto's dad, for longtime fans, used to play at Louisiana Tech. T.J. Soto might have been one of the best college baseball players I ever saw play the game as far as a hitter and could do everything. And to have his daughter in the program here is saying something because there's a progeny line that is pretty amazing there. Dan, appreciate the insight as always, brother. Enjoy the call tonight. I'll see you out there inside the Cajun Dome. Enjoy the call, my friend. It'll be fun. Remind everybody, Coaches versus Cancer tonight. They're going to honor uh, the late Gail Savoie as part of the Coaches versus Cancer thing. So come out and watch. And uh, if you feel it, make a contribution to the American Cancer Society. Bob Marlin's already pledged $100 for every three-pointer they make this weekend. That's outstanding. Thank you, brother. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds. Reynolds, only got a minute, bud, but it's yours. What's on your mind, brother? I'll tell you what, real quick. I got the the epic nickname for for Dawson. Oh, here this we go. Gives him, this is going to give him instant uh, street cred with the youngins, and it'll make the old geezers envious. You ready? I'm ready. Give it to me. Triple D, E diggity dog. <laughs> Welcome to the team, Dawson. <laughs> oh yeah. You mess with the bull, you get the horns, dude. You know, I really thought we might have had something with the lead into that one, and then we had what we had. Negative. Negative. Hey, real quick, real quick. Go ahead, Riddle. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's. I don't think he's. He's built. His DNA is built to go to a bad team. If you remember, I agree. He inherited a, a good team from a, um, what's his face, old um, Favre. Slinger. Yeah, number four. And, and he, huh? Yeah, number four, Brett Favre. Yeah, but he's not. His DNA is not a motivator. He his DNA is okay. Give me a great team. Let me shine. He's not a. a he's not a guy who's going to say okay. Give me a bad team, I'll make them great. He's not a motivator. I think he's either going to retire or he's going to go. Uh, he's going to stay with Green Bay because he doesn't want to have to uh, struggle with a bad team. That's just my take. I like so it. Have a good one. You too, brother. D diggity dog. That's what I'm talking about. Triple D D diggity dog. That's the best one yet. D diggity dog. <laughs> he's shaking his head. I may have to find another producer. Y'all are just going to run them off already. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything. 
Everything gonna be alright this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. If you want to chop it up with us later on in today's show. Coming up half an hour from right now, Dan Favali, our buddy from Bleacher Report, going to talk all things NBA with him. Also, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Yesterday, we had the great foodie poll question of the week the final one with hannah five names attached to the show what's the worst thing that she eats we got a lot of great fun out of that the cheese on top of the red beans and rice that comes out of a can overwhelmingly won that vote today's vote is about aaron Rodgers, mr personality mr feuding with family and going through girlfriends like they're going out of style who will aaron Rodgers play for next year 36% of you say he'll return to the Green Bay Packers. 28% say he could go to the New York Jets. 22% say other. 14% say the Las Vegas Raiders. Keep those votes coming, and we'll share your comments throughout the remainder of today's show. But right now, it's time for us to talk the latest with the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans with our guy, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, but I'm talking to you on a Thursday. So my life, I'm living my best version of it. Unlike the New Orleans Pelicans, who are a bit on the struggle bus right now. I know they're banged up. I understand that. But when you watch this team play, for me, offensively, it looks clunky. It doesn't look smooth out there like it did earlier in the season. What's ailing the Pelicans offensively in particular? Well, I think it's probably a lack of continuity as much as anything else because it's, I mean, the absence of Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram obviously has been a big part of it. But then they've had other players in and out of the lineup uh, for brief periods of time. It was Najee Marshall for a few games, and now it's Dyson Daniels. C.J. McCollum was in and out earlier in the season. So it's just, uh, I, I just don't think they have the same rotation out there every game. And, uh, you know, Herb Jones was out for a while. And so it's almost every night it's a different starting five, which leads to a different rotation. And in some cases, different roles for players. And I think that, as much as anything, has contributed to it. And then, you know, periodically, Guys have uh, off games. McCollum's had a, a couple of bad shooting nights here recently, and uh, it just uh, they they can't put the same group out there for an extended period of time. If they can ever get to that point, uh, I think they'll be fine offensively because they were one of the highest scoring teams in the NBA when they had all their players together. Trey Murphy, the third, he's their three-point specialist. And he's been he's been in a bit of a funk of late. Right now, for me, Les, he appears to be a guy that would be maybe a great guy to come off the bench to get you three pointers. I know he's a starter for this team. 
do you believe that he's developing at the rate that the Pelicans need him to be to be a cornerstone piece of what they want to build for seasons to come? Well, I'm not sure. I think back in November, I would have said yes, because early in the season, he looked like he'd improved dramatically over last year. Not only was he making the threes, but he was getting to the basket and finishing. He was playing pretty good defense. He was rebounding fairly well. And uh, you're right. He has not played as well recently. I think his uh, confidence seems to be waning a bit right now and uh, maybe that's because he's having to take on a bigger role um, with the absences of the other guys and it's a little more than he's ready for right now I'm not sure but uh, right now he doesn't look like the same player he was at the beginning of the year so if you look at the way he's playing now I would say he's behind schedule and yet earlier in the season I thought he was on schedule to become the type of player they're hoping he'll be. So uh, we're going to have to see how this plays out over the course of the rest of the season. I know Brandon Ingram's an all-star. I know Zion Williamson's an all-star, and Zion's the face of the franchise. But could you make a legitimate argument that the best player on this team is Valachunas? Well, he may be the most consistent player. The best player on the team is Zion Williamson. He's probably one of the five best players in the NBA when he's healthy. Uh, but Valanciunas is a very important part of this team. He's a double-double almost every night. You know, he's a guy that they they lean on when things aren't going well offensively. They know they can throw it into him in the low post, and there's a good chance something good is going to happen. He rebounds. He takes up space on defense. And uh, he's just a—he's a leader. He's a, 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 you know, just a force in the paint. And so he's an extremely valuable player. I think probably sometimes underappreciated. Um, but Zion Williamson's the best player on the team. But my counter argument would be this, and I think Zion's the more the most talented player on the team, but he's not available, and Valachunas is. And for me, the guy that's always there to kind of keep things, as you mentioned, he's the most consistent. Maybe I'll rephrase it. Would you consider Valachunas to be the team MVP? Well, I don't know. That would be a tough call between him and C.J. McCollum at this point. Uh, you know, when you say MVP, yeah, yeah that factors in availability. Um so if you want to say who's been the most valuable player on balance for the entire number of games that they've played, it would be between him and McCollum. Uh, but, you know, when, when he's there, <laughs> Zion Williams is the most valuable player on the team, one of the most valuable players in the NBA. So to this point, Valanciunas has contributed as much to this team as anybody because of the cumulative aspect of that. Uh, but so has C.J. McCollum. So, you know, they're they're 1A and 1B when the other two guys are out. Is the biggest hurdle facing this team when they get Zion back and figuring out how they're going to be healthy and all play together? Because they've only had a handful of games to do that this season, and it's going to be quite a long time since they've all played together. You got B.I. back. You got Herb back. You got Marshall back. You're hoping – to get Zion back after the All-Star break more than likely, right, Les? So 
Is that going to be the big challenge in the second half of the year for Willie Green to figure out, okay, how do all these pieces come together? How do we do the rotation? How does that execute? Yeah, that's going to be the the biggest challenge uh, other than keeping these guys healthy, which they haven't been able to do. But assuming they have everybody together, yeah, that's the main thing they have to do is figure out how they're all going to play together because they haven't done that a lot. And when they have been together, uh, there have been some rough spots because, you know, Williamson and Valanciunas both play down in the low post a lot, and that's not a great defensive pairing necessarily. And then Williamson and Ingram both need the ball and a lot of shots uh, to be as effective as they can be. And, uh, you know, Zion sometimes is in the low post. Sometimes he's got the ball in his hands on the perimeter penetrating. And so there's, it's a complicated combination of parts that they have, and they haven't had a lot of time to uh, let them play together in game situations. So, yeah, that's, I think that was probably the biggest challenge at the start of the season when, when Zion came back after missing last season. And now they, they're going to be faced with that again when he and Ingram finally get together if, in fact, that happens. We're talking with Les East, the award-winning columnist reporter for CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Les, despite everything that's going on with the lull that they have experienced in this last month and the injuries, I wake up this morning, even after last night's loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Pelicans are still the number four team in the Western Conference standings. Now, that's a good thing, but the flip side of that is there's a log jam between like the three seed right now and all the way down to the 10 seed, right? There's only three games that is different between those seven teams. So as much as the Pelicans have maybe kind of treaded water here, they definitely need to start turning a corner and start kind of turning things around, right? Because they don't want to be in a position where they have to be in the playing tournament again. No, they certainly don't want to be in the playing tournament. And if they're able to get you know, if Ingram is, is back for good and, and Williamson gets back here, you know, right after the All-Star break, then I don't think they're going to have to worry about being in the playing tournament because they're one of the probably three best teams in the West when they're healthy. And uh, if they're sit, sitting there at four or five, even six, when Williamson comes back, I think they're only going to go higher in the standings because they're one of the best teams in the West when they have everybody together. So, uh, you know, I would, they, I don't think they're even going to worry about the standings here for the time being. They just have to um, get some things straightened out on the offensive end primarily until Zion gets back. And then once he's healthy, then uh, just let everything uh, flow from there because uh, when they have all their pieces – they don't have to worry a whole lot about the play-in. They just have to try and get themselves in one of the top four spots so they can have home court in the uh, first round of the playoffs. And as you pointed out, right now they're still there despite a six-game losing streak, despite about a, what's going on about three and a half weeks of a bad stretch right now. Brother, I'll get you out of here with this. It's a Saints question. The Sean Payton saga of where he's going to go, where he's not going to go. You know, he canceled all the other uh, additional interviews this week. When do you think this is going to get resolved? 
And where do you think Sean Payne's going to go? I think he's probably going to go back to the Fox studio in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I would expect it's going to be resolved within a week. Uh, it's getting too late for somebody. Uh, these teams are going to have to hire coaches soon. I don't think the job that Sean Payton wants is out there right now. I think that may have driven his asking price up. He might say, I'm not crazy about any of these jobs, but if somebody gives me $25 million a year, I guess I'll take it. But, I, you know, I think maybe he was pricing himself out of the market because he didn't really want any of these jobs. The right one's not there. And uh, if it was there, I think he would have been hired by now because there's been a lot of interest. There's been interviews. Uh, Denver uh, showed a lot of interest, and nothing has happened. And if it hasn't happened by now, I don't think it's going to happen this offseason. And if that happens, that means the Saints won't get anything for Sean Payton if he decides to go into coaching after next season, right? That's how that's going to work. Well, he'll still have a year on his contract, so there'll still be due compensation. Now, you know, when he's a year away from the contract expiring, it's the the leverage might not be as good depending on how many attractive offers are out there and how many teams are bidding to get his services. So it's possible the compensation won't be as good a year from now, but they'll still have his rights for another year. And and the longer this goes on, less I actually kind of agree with you. I thought I thought he was going to take a job, but it just feels like he's not. It just feels like he's just going to say, it feels like he just kept his name out there, <laughs> and and had a lot of fun interviewing and talking about his interviews with national media folks. And now he'll just go back to being in the booth again. Well, I don't I don't think he was ever going to take a job that that he didn't feel really good about. And he he looked around to see exactly what. what you know, what these jobs would entail, but none of them, you know, if the Chargers job had come open, that probably would have worked out. Miami had come open, that might have worked out. If the Bears had come open, that might have worked out. But, you know, these are all second and third tier opportunities. And so I think he was, he wanted to find out exactly what was on the table before he made a decision. But uh, it's just not, the planets are not aligning, I don't think. I agree with you, brother. Thank you for your time. Keep up the tremendous work at crescentcitysports.com and enjoy your weekend, my friend. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beamed twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports station. station. 
Over the last few weeks, we've been speaking with Jacob Henderson with Skill Masters. Skill Masters is this great new app, which is all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. Last week, we were able to touch on some of the things that they're doing with golf, and we're going to touch on that again as we welcome back on Jacob Henderson to the show. Jacob, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning. Doing great. It's another great week here. Uh, got some of got past some of the bad weather earlier this week, so I hope everybody stays safe. But uh, excited to talk to you. You guys have the app set up where not only coaches, whether that's peewee coaches or youth coaches or high school coaches or even organizations, can help build workouts that can be applied to an individual, to a coach, or to an entire team. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit about more about how you guys build out the workouts? Absolutely. So when we bring on a team, coach, club, organization, um, what we look to do is start to understand, you know, what is your philosophy of teaching the game? You know, we don't sit here and tell you when we bring on an organization that this is our way, um, this is exactly how you want to do it. We certainly have our opinions. You know, they're, they're based in science and facts. But everybody always has their own little uh, nuances they like to, to teach to the players and the philosophies that they're, they're bringing through their organization. So our, our platform is really just that. It's a platform to deliver your message to your kids. So we give you tools in order to be able to create team workouts, to be able to cater those workouts specifically for individuals if they need additional work or different work based on what you're giving to the team. Um, and then we also have the ability for you to do the same thing for your coaches, right? A lot of times what we see um, in these organizations uh, or, you know, these teams, even all the way up to the college level, right, is there's always a different level of understanding amongst coaches and their expertise. And so we give you the ability to create training plans. So, you know, if you're an organization that has a whole bunch of volunteer parents um, and you don't want them to necessarily feel lost when they get out on the field, uh, what you can do through our program is put together a practice plan. So week by week, uh, you know, if you have two practices a week, they can, they can log into their app as a coach and they can see exactly what they need to practice on uh, for that day. It just makes an overall better experience for you know, the parents that are volunteering their time to, to do the coaching, as well as, you know, giving the players um, a, a set curriculum that will help them grow uh, in their development along this. And it's not just going out, you know, playing t-ball and just hitting balls off the tee, right? There's a structure to it. There's a purpose behind it. And it allows it to be fun. So, you know, all the drills that we want to create with these organizations, they're meant to be fun. Uh, as an example, you know, in soccer at the youth level, um, we are, we're rolling out with the Houston Dynamo, uh, a, <clears throat> a public school program on February 3rd. And a lot of those types of drills are red light, green light. So just simple, fun stuff that we can get these kids moving, get these kids engaged, but also teach them the game and help them grow. And Jacob, when you're sitting there telling me about it, it just it reminds me of so many conversations I've had over the years with coaches and how keeping tabs on their kids, their players, and making sure to give them things that they can do to stay focused and to stay in shape, and especially during the pandemic, was an immense challenge. This app and what you guys are doing with Skill Masters seems like a huge asset for any coach. It is, absolutely. It gives you the ability to um, – help those athletes that want to help themselves at an affordable rate. You know, not everybody can go afford, you know, private lessons the other three days of the week that they're not on the field with their team uh, in whatever team sport that may be, right? A lot of athletes are getting a lot of different messages going from soccer to baseball to football to swimming, you know, to track as they come through. These are all different parts of the body that, that need different focus at different times of the year, um, you know, as you progress through. And so, it certainly it, it's a huge benefit, you know, and that's that's really 
why we built what we built and what we do and why we do what we do um, from a private a personal training side is just that, you know. So you can take it from just the rec person that's looking to have fun all the way up to the most serious athlete that's looking to get a college scholarship or even we have college athletes, you know, looking to go into the professional ranks and we even have some professional players that go through our, our programs uh, with our trainers. So, you know, we're built for everybody um, and we fit kind of every organization that comes in. So long as the goal is to help your kids outside of the time that you're going to get on the field with them. And that's really where a lot of the growth happens in all youth sports. You know, most clubs are only getting one to three hours, you know, of time with their kids on a weekly basis. And if you really want to progress and you're a kid or a parent or a coach that wants their, their kids to be competitive at the highest level, um, or even just progress at a constant level, that's not good enough. And you have to take the time to do something outside of the field time, as we like to call it, or in the lab time on the golf side. Um, and this platform allows you to give them something that's structured, that you can follow, that they can follow. Um, it really helps them move up the ladder. Jacob, last week when we spoke, we really spent a lot of the time talking about what you guys are doing with the game of golf. There's some other news that the people need to know about. What can you tell us? Absolutely. So we are now uh, putting an elite junior program into the application. So if you download the app, again, it's a free app. Uh, you'll go in. You'll see right there uh, as you move into the golf uh, profile, the ability to register for the elite junior program. So this is going to be – there's two sections of this. There's uh, the 7 to 12 and then the 12 and up. And both of these are programs are meant for kids that are really um, looking to take their game to the next level of golf. So if you're the 7 to 12-year-old looking to be competitive in that age group, looking to make your high school team as you progress through, right, the older uh, 12 and up is those that are that have you know been playing high school soft, looking to figure out what's the best path for them to get a college scholarship take it to that next level and be competitive so that's now available to register through the app again download it for free um and you'll see it right there front and center i want to bring on your hall of fame golf pro thomas is going to join us just like he did last week and thomas i want you to go a little bit deeper in on this method that you guys use the gpa and no it does not mean grade point average can you elaborate a little bit further about this approach that you guys use for golf on the app okay great to be with you guys today uh, I want to apologize a little bit for the background noise. I'm at the uh, 2023 PGA show here in Orlando, and it's just a great time uh, meeting with some of my colleagues and seeing all the great stuff and and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, back to GPA, um, really want to touch upon the building blocks of the golf swing, particularly the grip, because if you don't have a good grip, it's very difficult to play. We, we spoke about it before, but I wanted to really kind of focus in on the lead hand grip which is the left hand for you right-handed golfers out there. And uh, if I walked into a room and I said, how many people in here slice the ball or for a right-hander hit the ball to the right? Probably eight or nine out of ten people in that room are going to say, I do, I do. Well, most of the time what we see in our academy is that lead hand is in a poor position. And we have some tricks and tips to show you buzzwords that will show you right away. You'll be saying, why didn't I just think of this? This is where my grip should be because it's ergonomical. It's where it should be, where my hand should be placed on the club. If the lead hand is not on the club properly, it becomes a uh, cascading effect of four compensations in the uh, swing. So as a beginner, the great thing is we can get a beginner with their lead hand on that club properly right off the bat. If you've been playing golf for years, we look at that lead hand and we 
probably can identify why that club face is open at impact. The reason why you slice the ball is the club face is open at impact. Guys, appreciate the time as always. Jacob, tell the folks where they can go to find out more information and where they can go to get the app once again, brother. Absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram and social media at skillmasters underscore INC. So skillmasters underscore Inc. Um, and that's on both Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit our website where you'll get the most information and links to the app store uh, at skillmasters.io. Again, that's skillmasters.io. And we appreciate it. Thanks for the time, guys. We'll talk to you next Thursday. All right, see you. Thanks. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there when you're calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Interesting times for the association. Teams that we thought were going to be really good that started off the season struggling look like they're starting to turn things around. Golden State Warriors appear to kind of have stabilized things a little bit. Teams like the New Orleans Pelicans, who started off so strong, have stumbled a little bit with injuries. To give us his thoughts on the landscape that is the NBA right now, is a man who covers the association for Bleacher Report. Our old friend Dan Favalli joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good, bud. I'm doing good. So I want to start off with the defending champs because the season couldn't have started worse for Golden State, but it does kind of feel like watching them play of late. They're four and six, which isn't great in their last 10, but it does seem like they're starting to kind of get things right. How confident are you that Steve Kerr and Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, and company are going to keep climbing as we get closer and closer to the All-Star break? I would say I'm fairly confident. I think you look at some of the games that they've played against upper-tier opponents, uh, their recent loss to the Celtics, um, their, um, you know, the game that they win um, last night against the, the Grizzlies as evidence that they can get up against the best in the league. And I think, you know, over this stretch, since basically we've turned the calendar, we've seen a pretty big improvement from their defense, which I think is a big deal because they struggled a ton on that end of the floor to start the season. Uh, their offense has been a little touch and go. Um, so you would expect that that could uh, potentially come around. Just, you know, Steph Curry still sort of working his way back into the line of Jordan Poole being up and down. They seem to have unlocked something with a little bit of those um, Draymond Green plus the the bench unit. So I think this is a team that still has a championship ceiling. I think you can be fairly confident that they're going to reach it. But they're also still a squad that I think has some pretty clear holes and that if you have the opportunity to make a move at the trade deadline to increase your depth by a player who would immediately make the top seven, 
maybe even eight of your playoff rotation. It's something that you really need to, to try and pounce on. What's the biggest thing that they're missing right now that you feel like they could address at the trade deadline, Dan? Uh, sort of like a bigger, I don't want to say wing type, but maybe even sort of a you know forward type of player, um, someone who can play maybe the three and the four for them. I think uh, I don't want to necessarily say upgrade the Jonathan Kaminga minutes, but let's upgrade the Jonathan Kaminga minutes. Are you going <laughs> to lean on him in the playoffs as a sophomore when he's still fairly mistake-prone? He has those flashes on both offense and defense, and he plays with a physicality and, and gives you some rim pressure. Uh, but are you going to trust him in the – the postseason so is there a way for you to upgrade um, those minutes with someone who can uh, play with Draymond Green whether Draymond is your four or your five Phoenix Suns are another team that kind of had a bit of a lull right and we we're like "Ooh, what's going wrong with Phoenix part of it was Devin Booker missing time but they seemingly you know Monty Williams has kind of stabilized things a little bit with his team you know, what do you feel about Phoenix and how they've been able to kind of maybe, you know, slow down things a little bit and kind of get back on track? Yeah, it's definitely helped that Chris Paul's offensive performance has sort of normalized. Uh, you've also, you have Cam Johnson back now. I think the defense in Devin Booker's absence has been a lot better than it was when he was injured. I still look at this team, though, more so than the Warriors with a level of distrust. Um, they are incredibly dependent still on Devin Booker offensively. They have the league's worst offense since he um, went down with injury, basically. And it does still feel like they need that third um, ball handler score, someone who could put pressure from a standstill on set defenses. And it's not going to be Mikhail Bridges. It's not going to be Cameron Payne. It's definitely not going to be DeAndre Ayton. And preferably be someone who could play while both Devin Booker and Chris Paul are on the court. Can they go out and get that guy at the deadline? Just so many complications there. The sale of the team should be finalized, but this organization under James Jones has also been notoriously hesitant to make bigger moves aside from the CP3 trade. And then I think something that does loom over them, and while they, they, they've shown defensive improvement, DeAndre Ayton just hasn't been like, great this year, really at either end of the floor. And so that's something that even if you make it through to the playoffs as a top six, top six team or even a top four team, um, that's going to be something, a performance you're going to have at the – the back of your mind and so they more so than even the Warriors kind of feel like they need to make a higher impact acquisition and it it needs to go beyond just hey we finally turned Jay Crowder into something and you need to get really the next Jay Crowder or someone who can replace those minutes while being better than Jay Crowder was for you last season. Are the Sacramento Kings legit? Yeah they're legit I mean that that offense when you watch them is just absolutely incredible Um, the chemistry that they have when De'Aaron Fox and um, DeMontis Sabonis are on the floor, the way things can be run in the half court with guys moving off them, even having someone like Malik Monk come off the bench and his his two-man chemistry with Sabonis has been absolutely incredible. They have the league's best offense basically since the new year, and they're pumping in over 125 points per possession. Um, they are ex- extremely tough to beat, especially when you have, you know, guy like Harrison Barnes starts the year slow and he's been coming on. You've been getting huge minutes from Trey Lyles. Uh, the concern with them is what you would expect, and that's just their defense. And can they get better minutes behind the bonus in the front court? Is Rashawn Holmes the answer there? Do you need to move him? I think their probably bigger need is just a, a truer wing defender, where that's not really Harrison Barnes or Keegan Murray and, and Davion Mitchell is undersized, and you don't want to find yourself reliant on Casey Akpala in the playoffs. And so if you can get someone who can be part of some of your best five-man units in the playoffs, 
maybe not even necessarily your closing units, but just someone who can um, play, you know, 20, 25 minutes per game in the playoffs and, and be a quality defender on the perimeter, maybe even behind the bonus a little bit, that would go a long way towards this team potentially winning an actual playoff series. But overall, they do look like a top six team in the, in the West overall. Is Denver and Memphis that much better than everyone else in the West? Denver is. Uh, I firmly believe that. Uh, they are just, you know, there's still questions to me that I have about their defense, especially when you get into how playoff matchups work and how teams attack you. But their top-end units can be so versatile at full strength between having Bruce Brown, um, Contavious Caldwell-Pulp to throw in there, and Aaron Gordon. You can have three-plus defenders on the court with Jokic and Murray, um, or at least two of them with Michael Porter Jr. when he's healthy, Jamal Murray and, and Jokic. Um, they've gotten better minutes from Zeke Naji. The bench has been even better. They've actually won their minutes without Jokic over the past month or so. I do not believe Memphis is a cut above the rest. I had flirted with that idea um, you know, up until a couple weeks ago. But you watch them. They're going through a rough stretch right now. I think the bigger thing, you know, Steven Adams not healthy. That's definitely going to be a factor. But he, his absence sort of exposes how fragile your offensive dynamic can be as you are so reliant on getting offensive rebounds and getting out in transition that if you take away Steven Adams' offensive rebounds and even his screening, um, you're sort of hard-pressed to, to make up for that. And so they're not a team um, kind of similar to Phoenix that has looked to shaking things up, you know, not even just midseason but over the offseason at all. But it really feels like they need to upgrade their bigger forward spot with someone who can maybe help you generate – um, some additional offense in the half court. New Orleans has been on the struggle bus ever since Zion went down with the injury to his hamstring. They get Brandon Ingram back last night. They get Najee Marshall back. They expect to maybe get Zion back after the All-Star break. Uh, we know this team is completely different when healthy. My question to you, Dan, is do you have confidence that the Pelicans can all be healthy to make a deep playoff run? I don't know how you could at this point, just looking at how limited a sample we have over the past year of Zion, CJ, and Brandon Ingram all playing together. And then even this season, just looking at the time Herb Jones has missed, Najee Marshall just missing some time as well when he's become an important part of the rotation. Um, it's absolutely a, a huge concern. And then you also have to wonder how those injury risks inform what they might do at the trade deadline, where they have all these assets to make moves of, of all types. It could be a small move, a medium-sized move, a huge move. But are they going to be reluctant to do anything that's on the mid to high end when you just don't have the sample size of your group at full strength? They look in the minutes they played like they could be dominant, but are you going to go out and change, you know, get a five who can, who can stretch the floor? Um, or are you going to go, while also protecting the rim, or are you going to go out and get a higher volume um, three-point shooter who might cost you uh, real assets when you look at a Malik Beasley or, or Gary Trent Jr. when you don't trust that your, you know, the, the core, the crux of your team is all going to be healthy at once. And so that will be interesting to see. But no, I don't know how you trust it just because we haven't seen it. Talking with Dan Vivale of Bleacher Report. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. We'll wrap up our conversation this way, Dan. Boston Celtics lose two straight games, yet they still have a three-game lead in the East. Obviously, they are the best team in that conference. And I know Philly is surging of late, winning eight of la eight of two in their last ten. Milwaukee still has Giannis. Brooklyn is, you know, treading water without KD. Which team presents the biggest threat to the Boston Celtics repeating as Eastern Conference champs? 
That is a great question um, that I think I've given limited thought to because of how tightly contested the the East is. I kind of, at this point, might almost gravitate towards a fully healthy Cleveland team um, if they're able to make a smaller move and, and upgrade that that three spot. If it's not going to be them, and I think it's fair to not pick them just because of the relative inexperience at that level, I will default towards Milwaukee. We haven't seen the sample um, with Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Drew healthy all that much together this season. Now you're throwing in the Bobby Portis injury. The offense has been up and down, uh, but the defense has been absolutely fantastic. They've been able to do a better job of limiting looks from beyond the arc and at the rim, which doing so simultaneously has never really been there their strong suit so if they're going to be healthy there might be something they could do with the trade deadline they've been very heavily linked to a jay crowder or eric gordon they feel like that type of a move away to where they might even be able to enter the fold as um just sort of pr- prohibited favorites but I, I think i just at this point even though we struggled on offense at stages i just default to the team that's going to have Giannis at Pentecupo. dan appreciate you tom as always brother enjoy your upcoming weekend my friend we'll talk to you soon most definitely thanks for having me as always take care this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I want to thank our guests for helping us on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. They really stepped their game up. Dan McDonald, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. We talked all things vermilion and white with Dan. Lots of good stuff going on with the Raging Cajuns. Men's basketball team, six in a row, 16 wins overall. Women's basketball team appears to have turned a corner. Baseball team, high expectations. Softball team, high expectations. Lots of good stuff going on with the Raging Cajuns. I want to thank Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. We talked a lot of New Orleans Pelicans as well as Sean Payton. He believes Sean Payton not going to take a job at all. He's just taking a little world tour, inflate that ego some more, and then go be back in the broadcast booth and not give the Saints anything. Jacob Henderson from Skill Masters joins us as well. And then, of course, Dan Favalli, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. Final results of the poll question of the day. Who will Aaron Rodgers play for next year? 35% of you say he'll go back to Green Bay. 27% say the Jets. 23% say other. And 15% say the Raiders. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left their comments as well. Lots of debate. Our new producer, Dawson, is not thrilled about... You guys and your recommendations for his new nickname. 
that will be used for radio purposes only. He's not going to have to use it in real life. Okay, I just want to throw that out there. There's been some great recommendations made so far. Uh, someone said no names, as that would be polar opposite of Hannah Five Names, who's soon to be six names. Uh, uh, Triple D, uh, he is not happy about that for multiple reasons. I've been educated on what new things mean these days. Uh, I'm an old man. I'm 44, apparently. Time for me to be put in the home. So that's a problem. Um, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. There's some other recommendations. He had some a very weird nickname that was given to him in high school. We may bring that. So we may have a poll question tomorrow that will help decide what Dawson's nickname is going to be on the air. And how about, Dawson, let me throw this out there. How about D-Nice? Huh? D-Nice. It means you're nice. Ah, he, just, he didn't like it. He didn't care for it. He didn't care for it. Well, well, we'll come up with something. Maybe tomorrow. You'll have to tune in. That's going to do it for today's show. Big shout out to Hannah. Big shout out to Dawson for manning the ones and twos. We'll do it all again tomorrow, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game.